Tonight, if you'll open your Bible to the book of Genesis, we're going to be in Genesis chapter number 39, and then we're going to move around just a little bit. And you know, uh, Joseph, when we talk about Joseph, he's one of the most fascinating characters in the Bible. You know, the Bible has some real main event people. I was looking on a list today, it said the top 11 most important people in the Bible. Now, of course, somebody just put together the list. You could make the same kind of list. I could make the same. I mean, who is to say who the main 11 people in the Bible? Now, we all know this. Whoever makes the list, the number one main person is who? Is Jesus. Is God. God is the number one person in the Bible. But apart from God, there are these main people. Interestingly, on this one list that I looked, in fact, it was the only list I looked, it listed 11 of the main people in the Bible, Old and New Testament. Joseph's name did not appear on the list. And I thought, well, I, you know, I don't exactly understand that because the fact of the matter is, in the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, you may want to mark this from chapter 37 all the way through chapter 50, except for chapter 38. We have this one chapter Joseph's not in that chapter, but all of these other chapters, all it's dealt with is Joseph. Everything in those chapters deal with Joseph, but not only that. I was just looking today, and you don't need to try to keep up with this, but in Exodus chapter 1, we read about Joseph, Deuteronomy chapter 33, Psalms 80, Psalm 105, Amos 6, the Gospel of John chapter 4, Acts chapter, 9, Acts chapter 7 twice, and then Hebrews chapter number 11, that great long chapter that's called by many the honor roll of faith. That's one of my favorite chapters in the book of Hebrews. Well, in that chapter, in verse number 22, it says, Joseph, by faith, he made God's honor roll of faith list. So I'm just saying to you, I, I don't know how you'd make a list of people that are uh, the most important people in the Bible and not have Joseph's name on the list. Now, you know, as I think about Joseph, I think you would agree, he was born with what many of us would call a silver spoon in his mouth. He really was. He was the favorite son of his father. You remember, you remember the story of Jacob and Rachel? You remember, you know, Jacob wanted to marry her and worked seven years for her. It's a very interesting story uh, back in chapter 29. And, you know, her father kind of deceived him. And he, he, he camouflaged and gave him Leah. And then he loved Rachel so much, he worked seven more years to get Rachel. He worked 14 years to get her. And, uh, uh, and of course, uh, Joseph was one of the two children by Jacob and Rachel, the other child being Benjamin. And so he was a father's boy, absolutely uh, unquestionably. And in fact, he went, though, from being born with a silver spoon in his mouth. I want you to look in chapter 37 in verse number 28, and I want you just to see a little thing with me. He went from that, and he became a slave. You talk about uh, from riches to rags, not rags to riches, but riches to rags. In Genesis chapter 37, Verse number 28, it says, Then the Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit. You know, they had thrown him in the pit. They hated him. Uh, and they had 
they weren't valid reasons, but to them they were valid reasons. And they sold him to the Ishmaelites. Now I mentioned last time the Midianites and the Ishmaelites is referring to the same same group of people. They sold him for 20 shekels of silver. And then the Bible says they took him to Egypt. Now, if you turn over in chapter 39, I'm trying to not, I'm trying to put it all together in a very simple way in the time we have. In chapter 39, verse one, it says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Now we just read how he got there. He was sold to these Ishmaelite traders and they took him down to Egypt. And of course, what they intended to do with him, they were going to sell him and they did. And it says, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought Joseph from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And so now we run across this man named Potiphar. What do we know about Potiphar? Well, if you look in verse chapter 39, verse 1, first of all, you know he was an Egyptian. Well, obviously, he was going to be an Egyptian if he was going to be the officer in Pharaoh's house. That means he was a high-ranking official in Pharaoh's army. Uh, he was a man of class and prestige. He had position. He was obviously, as we read on in the Bible, uh, he was a man of wealth. He had a lot of servants. And then he was a man, I was thinking about this today, something positive about Potiphar. He, he was a man of perception. He saw in Joseph somebody that could get something done. Now that takes perception. You never know. You never know. You know, it's like a new employee. They can look good in the interview and be a dud in four weeks. You just never know. I guess it's like marriage. Well, I best leave that alone. Uh, but be the, well, you never know, do you? You just never know what you get until you got it. And uh, but you know, as you read this story of Joseph, and it's a it's a fascinating story. And then think about all the things that happened to him. And you're familiar. I think most of us are familiar. You know, he of all the different things that happened to Joseph. And then and then think how it all worked out in the end. You know, that's what's important. How do things work out in the end? He goes through a bunch of stuff. Yes, he did. But it all worked out good in the end. But when you look at that whole story, there's some great life lessons. And if you'll take your bulletin, we're going to deal with some of these life lessons that I think will be very helpful. And we'll look at some verses as we do as we go along. I think one of the great life lessons of Joseph is that God often uses challenging things to reveal his presence. Now, that's a true statement. You think about that in your life, but let's think a moment about it in Joseph's life. First of all, he was sold to Potter. Now, here goes this young man. When this story starts out, 17 years of age, and he's thrown in a pit. Now, the next thing you know, this young man has been sold to the Ishmaelite traders. They take him to a different land than he ever knew anything about. And they sell him to a man he has no idea about. But it's very, very interesting. What happened was God, in a very special way, revealed his presence to Joseph. In fact, if you look in verse 2, it says the Lord was with Joseph. And that is a key, key statement. And so uh, here at the Potiphar situation, 
we read the Lord was with Joseph. Now you're in chapter 39 when he was unjustly put in prison. If you'll go down to verse 21, he's now in prison uh, for a reason that was untrue. But here's the deal. It was a challenging situation. But in verse 21, it says, but the Lord was with Joseph. And then the keeper of the prison, uh, he, he looked a situation over and he too saw that, that Joseph was an unusual person. But yet the Bible says he was so because the Lord was with him. You know, I think Joseph, maybe you might want to remember this. He, like, he proves the lesson taught by a sponge. Now, we're all familiar with a sponge. You use them mostly maybe in the kitchen. But, you know, if you take a sponge and you dip it in water and then you pull the sponge out of the water and then you squeeze the sponge and you put pressure on the sponge, water comes out of the sponge. Now, there's a great comparison between Joseph and a sponge because here's the situation. When, when, when Joseph, you look at all these situations that happened to him, every time in his life that pressure came, and it's like he was squeezed like a sponge, God oozed out of him. So I have in the margin of my Bible, I've just written the word sponge. For I may be reading this scripture six months from now, forgotten all about our Bible study tonight. But when I run across that, I want to remember that Joseph, a good way to think of Joseph, uh, he proves the lesson of a sponge. Squeeze a sponge, water comes out. Now, for you and for me, it's a wonderful thing that when we go through uh, things in life that like put pressure on us, things in life that squeeze us. It's during those times that we experience the most real presence of God that we ever experience in our life. And one way you would know that is the way they knew that. If you look in verse 2, it says the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. That's what happens when we live with an awareness of God's presence. And then when life brings these pressure situations and these squeezing situations and these hard situations what happens if we live in the presence of God it's just like God just kind of oozes out and gives us a peace that's really unbelievable now this this prison experience I, I was thinking about that today now the fact of the matter is we don't really know how long Joseph was in prison here's what we do know um if you turn over in chapter 40, if you turn over in chapter 40 and look down about, uh, uh, about verse 20, it says, Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler. That's what, you know, they had these dreams, and Joseph interpreted these dreams, and this is just what Joseph had said would happen. And he placed a cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but he forgot him. Now look in chapter 41, verse 1. It came to pass at the end of two full years. Now here's what we do know. When the chief butler and the chief baker were removed from the prison, and the butler was restored to his previous position, and the baker was hanged, 
Well, two years go by before uh, the butler remembered what Joseph had asked him to do. In fact, if you look back in chapter, if you look in chapter 41, I think the verse is in chapter 41, in chapter 41, yeah, there's the two years after the first, after these two years. But Joseph had asked him to remember him. He's, when he interpreted those dreams, he said to the butler, when you get out, if you would remind and remember me and what I've done for you and mention me to Pharaoh, maybe Pharaoh will let me out. And yet, of course, two years went by. How long was he in prison? Well, the Bible never says exactly how long. You can do some math, and you come up with a lot of different answers. Probably somewhere between seven and nine years would be the deal. But whether it be seven or eight or nine, that's not the important thing. We know it was two plus. It's two after they got out. But how long was he in before they got out? The point is this. The point is he was not there like on a three-month period. Joseph was in prison for a good while. And during that time, I'm sure many thoughts went through his mind. The greatest thought is that he had, no matter where he was, the presence of God. And so I just simply say that, uh, you know, God often uses challenging things uh, to reveal his presence to us. And if you think in your life, this is so very true. Many times we've all been through challenging things. And it's during those challenging things that we become more aware of the presence of God than when everything's just going our way, we don't think as much about it. Well, let's move on from that. God often not only uses challenging things to reveal His presence, God often uses challenging things to teach us to depend on Him. Now, as you read this story of Joseph, and you think, now here he is in a strange land. He's left his father, his mother, his brothers, he may be glad he left them, his friends, his surroundings. I mean, he's, he's where he's never been. And it's during that challenge that he learned a great lesson. He learned that sometimes you have to get in that situation to learn you can depend on God. Maybe you say, well, don't we all know that? Well, you know, when we have our family and we have our friends and we're living where we've always lived and we know where the doctor is, we know where the pharmacist is, and we know where the ER is, and, you know, we, we're kind of in our territory. Uh, we feel more secure. But can you imagine being somewhere, no family, no friends, you have no contacts, you don't know what to do. Well, that's kind of the situation he was in. And when you get in that kind of situation, listen, it's, if it's permanent, you have to really start life over. And as I think about Joseph, once he was bought by Potiphar, really in a way, he had to start life over. Now, you know, this whole idea of starting a new life, you, you know, that finally, if we live long enough, in some ways we all have to start a new life because many things come along in life. For example, a person could have an illness that changes everything about their life. They could lose their health. They could lose a mate and say to themselves, life's never going to be again like what life has been. They could lose a job. 
I mean, there are many things that come into life where in, in some sense, it's like you have to start life over again, like you start a new life. It's not like you forget the old life. It's just that the old life, things have happened, and it isn't going to be that way anymore. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to have to start a new life. And when we are forced to start a new life, here, here's a good thing. This is when we learn the importance and the blessing of just having dependence on God. And, and God teaches us to depend on Him because we no longer have what we had. We no longer have who we had. And it's during these times that we learn that real peace comes from depending on God alone. Now, let's go from that to the third thing. God uses challenging things to prepare us for what he has planned for us. Now, boy, you, anybody would figure that out reading the story of Joseph. All the things Joseph went through, God used to prepare him later to become what you and I would call, in essence, the governor of Egypt. I mean, from the pit to the prison to everything he went through, all preparing him for what God had for him. And to me, that is a blessed thing. In fact, you look in chapter 41 down in verse 39. It says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, this there is no one as discerning and wise as you. That's how we knew Pharaoh, how we know Pharaoh was wise as he was. He says, You shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word, only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And so, you know, all these things that happen, and if you look back on your life, things that have happened, if you, if you, if you lived a while, you see, you know, that was a hard thing, but that, that kind of prepared me for what God had next. I was thinking about that today in the churches I've pastored. I, I really think I can look back and see, uh, like my, my first church after seminary, we were there almost nine years, and uh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> that was in the, the, the early up to the late 70s, uh, and, and we built this one building while I was there and paid cash for the building. And um, the way we, you know, it was an interesting thing how all that worked out. But like, I think I've mentioned to you before, when I was in seminary, Dottie and I, as we were preparing to graduate, I, I said to her, and I don't really remember how she responded, probably in a more spiritual way than what I was saying. I said, now what I want to do, I want us to pray that God never send us to a First Baptist church or a church that needs to build buildings. If y'all haven't I shared this with y'all before? Well, I'm just going to confess it again. Well, I, I wasn't being ugly about that. I grew up going to a rural church, and my perception of First Baptist churches, they were they, they were kind of, well, I didn't want to be part of that. And I was wrong about that. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't mean that in an ugly way. It's just I thought, you know, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't fit a first Baptist church. So we graduate from seminary. And lo and behold, I'm pastor of the first Baptist church in Lenore City, Tennessee. So God was, you know, sometimes 
God chastens us in ways we've maybe not intended. Well, in that church, now we, this building we built, if I remember correctly, it cost about four hundred to five hundred thousand dollars. So that wasn't now. Now back in the seventies, that was more than it would be today, and the people were so proud, and we were all so proud of that building. Well, we leave there and go to Sulphur Springs First Baptist Church Number Two. You know, if you get into one of those First Baptist Church things, you can't get out of them. I mean, it's just like it's like the rat in the cage. That thing just keeps going. Well, my gracious, in that church, that building program was a, was a, was a, I, I had thought it was a major building program. It was more than I ever meant to get into. And, um, but anyway, we lived through all that. And uh, then after about nine years there, God said, I have a new place for you. First Baptist Church number three here. And I'm the same guy in seminary, prayed God send us to a place that doesn't need $57 million worth of buildings. So, you know, you have to be careful what you, what you pray for. Well, I meant my heart was right, but, but the fact, what I'm saying is, as I look back on all that, really, I learned things back in that first church about building a building that helped me when I got to the second church, even though that program was much more massive I really did learn some things for some people in that first church that were wonderful business people, one of which being a man named Harry Wampler. The boys and Dottie would remember Harry. He's with the Lord now. He was a great blessing to me. He taught me he was just a shrewd Christian businessman, hardworking man. And, uh, but he, he, really, he really, you know, his daddy was a preacher, so he had kind of a tender heart for preachers. But uh, he, he helped me learn things. And then I look at the, so I'm just saying you look back on, and if you look back on your life, probably you'll see something back there. You know, when I was going through that, I had no idea. That was going to be kind of a little tool God would use to teach me for this and teach me for this and teach me for that, teach me for yonder. So that's kind of the situation. Now, here's what I want to do tonight. And what I'm going to do tonight at this point, this will either be one of the best things I ever did on Wednesday night, or this is about to be a flop. Yeah. And you will determine how it goes. I was thinking about this thing today, and I thought, now we're talking about God uses challenging things. I could have said challenging times, challenging experience, whatever, to reveal his presence to us or to teach us to depend on him you know, sometimes, you know, when you don't have anybody but God is when you realize how much you have with God. Could I have an amen to that? And, and then sometimes these challenging things that we go through in life, they're, they're preparing us. Now, now, here's what I want you to do. I just wrote it down this way. Uh, I want you to try to think of something uh, where you learned going through a challenging time to experience God's presence in a special way or learn to depend on more God maybe than you had ever learned before that experience uh, or you look back on it and say, you know, as I look back on that, God was using that to prepare me for what God had next. Now, now we don't want long stories. We just want like little statements. But now I'm going to, I'll be first and I'm hoping somebody will be second. And I know it's not our nature to speak out in the group. Now, if we have another Sunday school room, connection group room, and, you know, we're, we're pretty good. But you get in here and everybody just clams up on you. 
So if you just clam up, we'll just go to the house. But now I'm going to give you an illustration. I'm not going to ask you to do something I don't do. Um, And then I hope others will. I I was thinking about that today, and I I have a lot of illustrations, but I'm going to mention one. Like, when I moved here in January of 1990, now, Joel was a senior in high school. He was going to graduate in June. And John had already left us. He was down at Baylor uh, enjoying the college life. So where we moved didn't really affect him very much. But here was the situation. I didn't want to move Joel out of his last semester in high school. I, I wanted him to stay there and graduate where he knew his friends, etc. And so what happened was, if you were here then, you know, but many of you weren't here when I came. Uh, I lived here in those little condominiums right by Bayshore Hospital. That's where I lived. And it's where we lived for about a year after that. But I lived there from January till June just by myself. Like you say, well, poor pitiful you. It was worse than that. Um, but, but here's the point. I mean, all of a sudden, I mean, Dottie's back in Sulphur Springs and Joel's back in Sulphur Springs, and I'm off down here, and like my plan was then, I thought, well, one weekend I'll go home, one weekend he'll come, but in that senior year, Joel got so involved in so much stuff, he needed to be home, so that didn't work out very well, but most, most Thursday nights, believe this or not, you could fly to Dallas for $29 if you bought your ticket in advance. I doubt you could buy one of those tickets today. But anyway, uh, I'd fly to Dallas, and then Dottie would come up there and get me, and I'd go, to, I'd go home, and then Saturday night late, I'd fly back in here. I'd stay here the next Thursday night, most weeks. Now, every week that didn't happen. But the point I make is, though, for me, that may not seem like much of a deal to you. That was one of the hardest things that I ever went through in all my years in the ministry. It was a challenging time for me to be separated from my wife, separated from Joel. And, and yet, as I, as I reflected on it so many times, I learned the realness of God because, see, he's all I had here. Now, I had Dottie on the phone, etc. but, I mean, as far as here, like, that, that was kind of the deal. But yet, I learned some things during that that, that really taught me more about God than I would have learned had that not been the situation.